Indeed, amen. I, I am blessed by our choir. I, I tell you, every Sunday, the offertory and the anthem in many ways becomes my message and song that really feeds my heart as we come before the Lord in worship. So I'm grateful to them. I know they don't do it for attention or notoriety or a comment from the preacher, uh, but I'm grateful to God for them, the body of Christ doing the Lord's work. Uh, we continue this morning through our, our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. So turn in Luke's Gospel to chapter 9. Uh, several verses we're going to take a look at together this morning. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a Red Carillion Pew Bible there in front of you that you can grab and turn to page 866 this morning. If you have your Bible on your phone or your tablet, I, I will think the best of you as I preach this morning as you look at God's Word on your cell phone. I will think the best of you. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. We're going to read verses 7 through 9, and then we're going to skip over to verses 18 through 22. So hear God's Word this morning. Luke writes, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, talking about John the Baptist, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things, and he sought to see him. Now skip over to verse 18. Talking about Jesus. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come here today with many distractions. Help us to focus on you for the rest of this hour. I pray that you would help us to hear your word. I ask that you would help me to handle your word faithfully and accurately. I pray that you would help me to exalt Christ and that we would see Christ high and lifted up. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to know Jesus as our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bartow is divided this weekend. 
I know that it, if you read the water tower, it says that we are the city of champions. We are. But this weekend, we are the city of conflict. Are you aware? There's been a huge debate this weekend about whether or not you should allow people to trick or treat at your house on Saturday, October 30th, or tonight on Sunday, October 31st. Now, if you have decided that Halloween is the devil's day and you are not going to allow any child to come to your front door, you're not going to hand out any tricks or treats, I want you to hear me loud and clearly today. I respect your conviction. I respect your position. Let me just say to you as an aside, you have also bypassed this terrible conflict that has almost torn us asunder this week. But in all seriousness, I I have been entertained by the resistance among us in our town this week. There have been some that have been so adamant about the fact that you should only hand out tricks or treats tonight that they have actually gone to the trouble of paying or printing for real estate signs to be positioned in their front yard that says, you will only receive tricks or treats tonight, Sunday, October 31st. Well, I admire people that stand for something. Because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything, correct? But that is a question we've had to face this week as a community. When will you simply pass out candy at your house? Will it be Saturday or will it be Sunday? In the grand scheme of things, really a trivial matter. But a question nonetheless that had to be answered by every one of us in this room this week. There are more important questions we face. Like, will you get married someday? And if someone asks you, will you marry me, will you say yes or will you say no? Many of you will face the question of whether or not you will accept another job offer. Whether you will rent or buy a home or if you'll move. Some of you are contemplating selling your house right now. You want to sell while the market is beneficial to you. And for some of you, you are wrestling with the question... We have children or not? These are far more important questions that we all face at some point in our life. And why do I bring up these questions to you today? Because in this passage of Scripture, we have the most important question we will ever face. Did you catch it? And this passage is the most important question you will ever be asked in your life. In this passage, you have the most important question you will ever need to answer in your life. Do you know what it is? Who is Jesus? It's asked twice in the passage in verse 18, Jesus asked it of the disciples, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? And just like today, opinions were varying. And then Jesus points the question at his disciples more pointedly and asks them the question, Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked that question of every single one of us here today. 
What's your answer? How do you respond? Jesus is your Redeemer. Jesus is the only Savior. That is the answer. And so this morning as we explore these verses together, I want us to ask the question and answer the question, how is Jesus your Savior? How is Jesus your Redeemer? In the Protestant Reformation, one of the other reformers, not only Martin Luther, but there was John Calvin. One of many contributions that John Calvin made to the Reformed faith is that he highlighted how Jesus Christ fulfilled three offices in the Old Testament. And this morning as we explore this passage together, I want us to answer the question, how is Jesus your Redeemer? How is Jesus your Savior? Because Jesus fulfills all three of the offices we find in the Old Testament. So that's how I want us to unpack this passage together this morning. The first office Jesus fulfills is that Jesus is your Redeemer. Jesus is your Savior because Jesus is your prophet. Jesus is your prophet. Now I want you to notice in verses 7 through 9 that it comes to Herod's attention that there's someone who's preaching a powerful message and performing all kinds of miracles. And it says in verse 7, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was continuously perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. And so... Obviously, Herod is beginning to ask the question and needing to answer the question, who is this Jesus that he's hearing news about in his territory? Notice that Luke uses the right title for Herod. He was basically a petty uh, understudy of Caesar at that time, given control or governing authority over a very would have been considered a very insignificant part of the Roman Empire. Some would have considered it the armpit of the Roman Empire. And notice that it comes to Herod's attention that many people have different opinions about this Jesus figure. Some that, that he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. Others that he's Elijah. Others that he's one of the prophets of old that has risen from the dead. And it says that he seeks to seek Jesus and discover who Jesus is. And then in verse 18 and following, it says that Jesus, asked, after a time of praying, asked the disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? And notice that Jesus' disciples essentially quote, word for word, the rumor mill that Herod has just heard. Why is this significant for me and you? Because if Jesus is going to be your redeemer, Jesus is going to be your savior, then Jesus has to be your prophet. Not just a prophet, but the prophet of all prophets. Why so? Because he gives us the message of how God has provided the means of salvation for our sins. But notice that as our prophet, Jesus is not only the one who is the messenger, but he's also the message. 
The Westminster Standards highlight this in Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer number 24 when it says that Jesus executes the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. And what was the will of God for our salvation? That Jesus would come as the one that would share the message of salvation. And what's that message of salvation? We see it in verse 22, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Notice that Jesus' disciples don't push back about the idea of of the resurrection. Notice that... uh, the Jews that communicate with Herod in verses 7 through 9 don't push back about the idea of a resurrection. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection of the dead. That's what distinguished the Pharisees from the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. And so in this bold prediction that our Lord Jesus makes here in verse 22, we see here that Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the suffering servant that the prophet Isaiah predicted in Isaiah chapter 53 that we use this morning as our affirmation of faith together. One point, that if Jesus is going to be your Savior and Redeemer, he must be your prophet. He must be your prophet. Years ago, a London journalist If you want to, we can switch to the pulpit mic. Years ago, the London journalist was communicating about D.L. Moody and his preaching. He had witnessed D.L. Moody preach before very large crowds. And the London journalist recorded his thoughts and his perception of what was happening as a response to D.L. Moody's preaching. And the London journalist wrote this. What is the magic power which draws together these mighty multitudes and holds them spellbound? What is it that draws them to D.L. Moody's preaching? was the question he asked. Is it Moody's worldly rank? He said, no, he's just a preacher. Is it his wealth of learning? The London journalist said, not really. Was it his powerful oratory as a preacher? And the London journalist concluded, no. There were far greater orators in the world at that time. So what was it that drew people to D.L. Moody's preaching? He said this as a journalist writing in the newspaper. It is because D.L. Moody lifts up the cross of Jesus Christ that people are drawn to his preaching. When D.L. Moody preaches, the eyes of the people see Christ crucified. Friends, the most important question we will ever be asked is who is Jesus And the most important question you will answer is who you believe him to be. Do you believe him to be the only savior of sinners? And that he is the prophet of all prophets that not only reveals the way of salvation, but is the only means of salvation.
There are a lot of different opinions today about who Jesus is, just like there were in Jesus' day. Some say that he was a great moral teacher. Some people believe that he was just fiction. You need to understand that as you share with others the fact that you're a Christian. That there are many in the world today that do not believe that Jesus of Nazareth even existed. And yet, there's more proof of his, his existence, his death, his burial, and his resurrection than Columbus selling the ocean blue in 1492. Who is Jesus? He's your Savior. He's your Redeemer because he's your prophet. That's the first office that Jesus fulfills as our Savior, is that he is your prophet, but he's also your priest. Jesus is your priest. What did priests do? They, priests offered sacrifices on behalf of the people to offer substitutionary atonement for their sins, but priests also interceded on behalf of God's people. I want you to notice in verse 18 how Jesus is our priest and how that's demonstrated in this passage. It says in verse 18, now it happened as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And that was when Jesus asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Notice that in Luke's gospel, prior to significant things happening in the life of Jesus Christ, prior to significant things happening in the ministry of Jesus Christ, you will always find Jesus praying. Prior to Jesus selecting the 12 disciples, what was Jesus doing? He was praying. He was interceding for them on their behalf how they would respond and who he would choose. Now, right before Jesus asks them the most important question they'll ever face in their lives, what is Jesus doing? He's praying. He's interceding on their behalf as their high priest. And what will our Lord Jesus be doing right before he goes to Calvary? We will find him in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying. Not only praying for himself, but interceding for his disciples and interceding for those that will come as a result of their ministry of sharing the gospel. Who is Jesus? Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is your Redeemer because Jesus is your priest. The Westminster Standards tell us that Christ executes the office of a priest and is once offering up himself a sacrifice to satisfy the divine justice and to reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. How is Jesus your priest? Because Jesus offers himself as the all-sufficient sacrifice for your sins. Jesus offers himself as the payment of the death penalty for your sin to satisfy God's divine justice towards you for the wages of sin is death. Not only physical death but spiritual death for all of eternity. So who is Jesus? He's your savior. He's your redeemer because he is your priest who intercedes for you even this day. Andrew Bonner said this many years ago. I would not fear a thousand men if I could hear Jesus in the next room praying for me 
Yet distance makes no difference because Jesus is praying for me. Friends, Jesus is your Savior because Jesus is your priest. He intercedes for you daily. That's what he's doing, seated at the right hand of God the Father, even at this time. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And he offered himself as the all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. By the way, that's why I believe the temple will never be rebuilt. There's no need. Because the temple that existed, the tabernacle that existed, existed only to be a shadow of the work that Christ would accomplish. Jesus is the real sacrifice. There's no need for any other. If you entertain trick-or-treaters at your home tonight, or if you did last night, there's one costume you will probably see this year. It will be of a figure known as the Mandalorian. How many of you are familiar with the Mandalorian? Okay, a few of us. Mandalorian is a, a Star Wars character in the Star Wars universe. A bounty hunter of sorts. The Mandalorian has a creed. They have a code that they follow. They resist the empire. They refuse to remove their helmet. They rescue orphans. They help the helpless. They capture bad guys. And if necessary, they will kill the bad guys. And their motto is, this is the way. Friends, I want you to know that Jesus is Lord is our creed, but it's more than just a creed. Jesus isn't just a way. Jesus is the way, the one and only true way for us to be reconciled to a holy God and to have a relationship with God, our creator and our redeemer. That's why Jesus says of himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who is Jesus? He's your Redeemer. He's your only Savior because He is your priest. That's the second office that Jesus fulfills in His life His death, His burial, His resurrection. He's your, not only your prophet and your priest, but now He's also your King. There are two titles used of Jesus in this passage. One you see in verse 20, and the other one you see in verse 22. Both of these titles definitely point to the kingship of Christ. In verse 20 it says that Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, he always tends to be the, the loudmouth one that speaks up for the disciples and says, the Christ of God. The word Christ it's from the Greek Christos. It's from the Greek version of the Messiah. It means the anointed one. And so Jesus' disciples were expecting a king to come who would rescue them 
from the bondage of the Roman Empire that would usher in God's kingdom, that would restore Israel to its great heights. But what they had to learn was what Jesus told them in verse 22. That this king would first come to conquer through suffering and death and resurrection. Rather than coming first to rule and reign. And so what we see in verse 22 is a second title used of Jesus that the most common title Jesus uses for himself through the Gospels is the title, the Son of Man. As you look at that title, you might think that it refers to Jesus' humanity. It does in a sense, but more importantly, it actually points to Jesus' divinity. If you go back in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, what you'll see there is the fact that this title, Son of Man, really refers to this apocalyptic figure. That is this cosmic judge who will rule the universe and judge the universe. And so what Jesus is doing in this passage is he is dissolving their expectations of what the true king of kings will look like. That indeed he's come to rule and reign and to conquer, but he'll conquer through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so that's why the Westminster Standards say that Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and restraining and conquering all his enemies and all of our enemies. Who is Jesus? He's your Savior. Because he's your king. Because he's your king. Donald Gray Barthouse records a story about an Irish king that went to a banquet. And the Irish king disguised himself at the banquet. This Irish king took the lowest place at the table. But as people interacted with this king that had disguised himself, as they heard more of his conversation and his character... Just the nature of his conversation, slowly but gradually, other people began to ask this disguised king to move to a different place at the table to eventually he was near the highest part of the table. Eventually, one of the guests looked at the Irish king that had disguised himself and said, you speak like a king. When Jesus uttered the verse 22, Jesus' disciples did not think that he spoke like a king. A failed Messiah is a dead Messiah. A failed king is a dead king. And what they had to learn throughout the days that would come This king of kings would conquer sin, Satan, and death through his death and his resurrection. Friends, do you accept Jesus as your Savior? 
if you do, then you will bend your knee to the King of Kings. Let's pray. Blessed Jesus, you are the one and only true redeemer of mankind. And we thank you how your word has promised the means of salvation. And we thank you how Jesus' virgin birth, sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection proves that Jesus is our redeemer. Help us to sink our teeth deep into the truth that Jesus is our prophet, that Jesus is our priest, and that Jesus is our king. It's in Jesus' name we pray.